I said, we are in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Anyone need a Bible? Please raise your hand if you do. There we go. Bible? Anybody else? Anybody else need a Bible? Wow, you guys are really good with the Bibles. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. got a letter from the Calvary Chapel Outreach Fellowship, which is sort of the in charge of networking amongst all the Calvary chapels, and there's a book by Chuck Smith and someone else, and they recommend going through the Bible in five to seven years, and so we are way behind. We're only in Nehemiah, and we're in our sixth year, so I don't know, maybe six years from now, we'll be finishing up Revelation. So anyway, take it a little slower here at Calvary Chapel in the city. We're a little slower, so that's okay. But let's, pr let's pray before we begin. Father, I thank you for uh, your word and just everything uh, in it, Lord, and just how much we learn just through this, this book, this personal testimony about your faithfulness in someone's life and and Father, what you are perfectly willing to do, no, Lord, you want to do through uh, any man or woman who wants to live for you and do a great work for you, Lord, and in this life. And I just pray, Father, that um, believing that you're doing this very work in our lives, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that Again, at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. You want to use all of us, Lord. You want all of us to be Nehemiah's, Paul's, uh, Elijah's, James, Stephen's. And Father, I just uh, I thank you for that. That you're not a your word says you're not a respecter of persons. And we thank you for your grace. And Father, I uh, pray, Lord, in the na name of Jesus, that we would see grace, uh, even as it is jumping out from the pages. We will able to embrace it this evening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I taught on Paul's vision, although he doesn't know if it's, a, by his own words, he doesn't, didn't know if it was a vision or actually in the body where he went to heaven. And um, in Acts 14, actually, he was stoned and left for dead, and it's believed that's when that experience happened. And so we were talking about this morning how the fact that he, it appears that he kept this to himself for 14 years. Certainly, he kept it away from the um, Corinthians. He had been with them for three years and had never shared it with them. And just we were talking about how we need to be very careful sometimes that we shouldn't just assume if the Lord gives us something really, really special like that, um, that we should be sort of sharing it with necessarily because there is a tendency for people to have their eyes fixed on man. And uh, for that reason, I think even personal testimonies we need to be careful with. I think they're biblical 
because we're reading one now. And <laughs> the book of Nehemiah is a personal testimony. By the same token, we need to be careful that we're not drawing attention to ourselves. We, people need to fix their eyes on Jesus. They don't need to be fixing them on us. And uh, we do need to be careful um, what exactly we're boasting in. The Bible says we're supposed to only boast in Christ. And so, uh, but here, that's what this book is all about. Uh, this is the biblical basis for uh, personal testimony. Ne Ezra and Nehemiah are about you know, what God did in their lives. One of my favorite writers, Andrew Murray, who wrote Abide in Christ and Waiting on God and a few other books, actually we have them available in our bookstore. Uh, he was known for basically n never giving his personal testimony. People used to ask him for it all the time. He lived in the late 1800s in, in South Africa. He had such an impact on my life. I'm so grateful for what the Lord did through him. But anyway, he finally agreed to, uh, to someone to give his personal testimony, and the person went to his house, and they sat down. All he, wa all he talked about was Jesus the whole time. He, he just refused to talk about himself. He was just so uh, focused on just not wanting people to be looking at Andrew Murray. And, um, uh, and so we do need to be careful about these things. So if you're going to tell us about your trip to heaven, just... Uh, uh, is be careful because in our hearts we're going to be thinking to ourselves, you know, um, Paul waited 14 years. How long did you wait? But uh, anyway, the book of Nehemiah. So uh, it, Nehemiah, we uh, in Hebrew uh, means comforter, and so one way to read this book, remember that just by Jesus' own words, the entire Old Testament really is a testimony about Him about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so uh, there are pictures of Christ, of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. Ezra means um, helper. And we saw that picture of the Holy Spirit just with the life of Ezra and also with Nehemiah. What, what is going on in the book of Nehemiah? Well, Israelites had been... Uh, uh, had, had been judged by the Lord for turning away from him. They had a kingdom which lasted five, uh, four or five hundred years, actually uh, about five hundred years they had been in the land. There was less than that with the kingdom in the book of Judges. But um, they had uh, rebelled against the Lord and they had clung to foreign idols, so they were banished for 70 years, just like the prophet Jeremiah said would happen. And after 70 years, uh, just like Jeremiah said would happen, they came back and uh, they rebuilt the temple. And then uh, that was at the beginning of Ezra, towards uh, the end of Ezra, they, the, the temple was sort of improved, improvements were made. The book of Nehemiah is a, a third group of people who go back from Babylon where they had been banished, not banished 900 miles away from Jerusalem. They took, uh, I think, a three- or four-month journey back from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, back to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the walls. Now, again, Nehemiah, what does it mean? It means comforter. And um, the, in John chapter 14 and 16, where Jesus says, it's a good thing that I'm going to go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send the... Uh, comforter to you, some translated, translations say. Others say helper. Um, 
and uh, there's a number of uh, ways to, to translate that verse, but uh, the Comforter is one of the names of the Holy Spirit given to the Holy Spirit. And so this is a real work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian, that you know, you're, when you're saved, you immediately become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says but when, as soon as you place your faith in God, God gives you the uh, Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, what is to come, heaven, and also abundant life on this, uh, on this uh, world. But uh, immediately you, you become uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But um, as many of you have experienced, just because you get saved doesn't mean that you don't bring all kinds of emotional problems and issues uh, into your new relationship with God. Uh, and so many of us, when we were saved, uh, had all kinds of different issues uh, with our emotions, with our, in our, just in our minds, some of the filth uh, that we have put into our mind or that our mind has been exposed to. We just carry it right into our Christian life. Well, what happens? God accepts us just the way we are. That's what the Bible says. But he doesn't want us to stay that way. He wants to rebuild our walls. And uh, what was going on uh, in... Uh, Jerusalem as they had rebuilt the temple, but people were so scared of the enemy coming in and attacking them because the, the Jews had plenty of enemies who hated them uh, living in the surrounding uh, area that they couldn't really have a worship experience. And this is so true when with, with, with new believers and sometimes really takes years for someone really to come into church and really enjoy being with the body of Christ because they got so many issues. They're so self-conscious. They're wondering what everyone's thinking about them. And they, you know, I know for myself, I used to spend half the time just thinking about, you know, myself and, and, and not really paying attention to what's going on just because of so many issues, weird kind of thoughts coming into my mind, uh, Satan just trying to attack me and putting every kind of evil, blasphemous thought in my head right in the middle of a worship service. This is what happens. That's what spiritual warfare is like. You know, people come up to me all the time just saying, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that goes through my head. I, I just don't think I'm uh, saved. Well, yeah, I know what's going through your head. I've been there, man. God wants to rebuild your walls. And that's what is going on in, in the book of Nehemiah. He has come to rebuild the walls. And so... He, they start rebuilding uh, the walls, and immediately um, they are. Uh, th there is opposition. Uh, first, the, the the enemies are mocking them. Uh, then they get very angry at them. Then they threaten war, and I just love it. They never stop. They never say, "Well, we better cool out for a while." Now we did see them do that in the book of Ezra where the enemies came in, they threatened them, and they stopped. And then it took something like 12 years and a couple of prophets to come in, getting in their faces for them to resume. A wonderful thing about Nehemiah's example, he just barged ahead. He did not let any opposition stop, uh, stop him. And uh, he even had, at, at one point, Jews from the, the countryside coming in and saying, look, stop this, we're going to be... Uh, we're going to be killed. Uh, we're going to lose our lives. It says they came in ten times. They came to them. These are fellow, these are brethren, fellow Jews coming in. And uh, Nehemiah just went, 
he just went forward and uh, he split the people up into uh, different groups and they made the walls and t 12 different gates uh, around Jerusalem they made and uh, and they finished it and so it's this um, this wonderful thing but I, I got to tell you there's one thing that this book is such a great picture of it, it it's you know when you're when you're in leadership and you know in a work of the Lord it's just constant warfare if you're doing anything for the Lord there's just constant warfare and so we pick up in chapter 5 uh, with just more warfare the the uh, the wall was completed and uh, you know what's Satan gonna come up with next sure you've heard many times, you know, it's been said we're either in a trial, coming out of it, or going into it. That's just the way that, that, that um, the fallen world is. And uh, I love the picture of Nehemiah because, man, this guy just pushes uh, forward uh, no matter what. And so they finished the walls. And in chapter 5 it says, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. There was a division. Division within the body. You know, you guys may have heard me say before that um, a church can take, can, can survive many things. It can survive um, bad preaching. It can survive bad worship can survive bad coffee but it can't survive division when you have division Satan will just come through like a locomotive and just flatten the church and Satan knows that because the word of God says that in, was it Psalm 122 where he's talking about, about the blessing of unity it says on unity I will put my blessing meaning he will prosper he will prosper uh, wherever there's unity. Jesus, last thing he prayed for before going up to heaven, when he was in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, rather, before going to the cross and getting arrested. Good Father, I pray that they would be one. Satan knows what he's doing. There was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. So some of them were being withheld food. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands. Man, you thought this financial crisis was like uh, new to us. <laughs> it's thousands of years old. We have mortgaged our, uh, our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So they were so hungry um, they were going to some of their Jewish brethren and saying, look, give us grain and we'll give you a mortgage in our property, me meaning a, uh, uh, an interest in, in our house is what they were doing. Verse 4, there were th also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. And so uh, the king was imposing a tax. This may have been a tax that was imposed actually to build the walls. I don't know. Uh, verse 5. Yet now our flesh 
is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and indeed we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. Slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our land and vineyards. Verse 6, And I, being Nehemiah, became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. <laughs> I just love this dude. <laughs> After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers. I don't know about you, but I have no interest in coming against a guy. A guy like Nehemiah is coming towards me. I'm like, whoa. You know, a guy who pulls out people's beards? Man, this guy had some serious authority. Um, he says, and we'll see the, uh, the beard pulling later on. Uh, it, later on. It says, and I said to them, uh, uh, he says, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers of verse 7 and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? In other words, they were basically, in order to, they, they, they were willing to let people Jews were letting fellow Jews sell their daughters and their sons in order to have food. Or, so, or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Ooh, boy. You know, when you see that silence and you just know they're guilty. They, they didn't think that they were going to be uh, called out for this. And from the very beginning of the Bible, what do we, what do we read? When God told Cain, he actually confronted him. He says, your sin is going to find you out. You have a bitter soul. Your sin is going to find you out. And, and certainly, their sin finds them out. And by one, uh, by one bold dude in, in Nehemiah. Verse 9, then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. And so, uh, this outcry of basically of unfairness uh, comes against uh, these people. They come to uh, Nehemiah. And just the wonderful things, one of the wonderful things about the Word of God is that it's just, you know, all the laws that we see in the United States of America, they can be traced right back to this book. You can research other religions. You will not find this, the, the amount of detailed law dedicated to protecting immigrants, to protecting the poor, 
to protecting widows and orphans, or people that have been disenfranchised. And, you know, I was just going through some of the Old Testament verses while I was preparing uh, this message. And, the, you know, the, God is just so serious uh, about how we treat, how we treat the, uh, the poor. And, you know, it all comes back to this, that, that you know, the poor, the men and women who, who um, you know, uh, ha- are suffering because of financial need, uh, that they're made in the image of God. And when you take advantage of them in God's economy, you're taking advantage of God. And the Bible says that, you know, several times throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you better watch out about how you treat the poor because if they cry out against you, I'm going to listen and I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. And, uh, and that goes not only for the, the Jewish poor, that goes for the aliens, that goes for uh, uh, really for um, anyone who is poor. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, just one of many, many, many verses about this subject. If there are poor among you within any of your gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. And um, it says, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, oh, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. And so it, it really gets back to a very simple concept, and that is, is that every man and woman is created in the image of God. In the image of God. You know, we were talking this morning about, uh, you know, what the Bible has to say in the New Testament about how leaders in a church treat their sheep and what a very serious thing it is to take advantage of God's sheep, a pastor exercising excessive control or pressuring for money and and just how 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 you're really putting yourself up in a, a pastor or a leader or an elder deacon whatever in opposition to God they're his sheep um but really it extends far beyond that it, it extends really um to to the poor and that and that's why you know it's um you know the church has always been uh, uh been called to go to the need uh, of the poor. Now, there were a, a number of reasons for the short of, uh, a shortage of food. Verse 2 says the people were many, and it could be that they were, when they were actively involved in rebuilding the walls, the crops and fields were neglected, and, uh, and, and there were taxes going on and, and, and things like this. And uh, the, In the Old Testament, Israel, in Israel, uh, you were prohibited from charging interest to an, uh, one Jew to another. doesn't matter what it was. 
Now, this is a pretty good interest rate. Did, did anyone pick up, by the way, what the interest rate was? Anyone paying attention there when we were reading there? 1%. Hey, man, give me that loan. Still, doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, in verse 11, it talks about you return that hundredth. <laughs> you return that 1% one, 1 to, uh, to the poor. And... Um, uh, and, and then in verse 10, it says, and also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. So uh, don't, don't, let, don't miss that point. Nehemiah is saying, look what I've been doing. Look at my example. Look, I've been lending from my, my own money to these people. And here, these princes, these nobles uh, were, weren't doing that. They were uh, uh, charging interest. They were taking advantage of them. They were disenfranchising with them. They sort of tried to, um, you know, do, you know, disobey the law and pretend like uh, it was okay. I mean, after all, they got themselves into the trouble. They should have managed their money better. There's a million different reasons to justify our uh, neglecting the poor. So much in in the the Bible about this, and so he says uh, in verse 11, restore to them even this day their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses. So he's telling, give it all back. Give all of it back. And then he didn't trust them, so he made them take an oath. Verse 12, we will restore it. We will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priest and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Uh, now Jesus, hey, Mike. I think you better get the parent to that child who just came in. <laughs> yeah. I just had a, a young girl. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. <laughs> I don't remember what was going on. It's just a little head pop in the room. Um, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, by, uh, no be no. And whatever you do, don't give, uh, don't make an oath. And so... Uh, you know why? Why would Jesus say that? There are many times, actually, in the old, even in the New Testament, where there are people taking oaths. Well, the principle is this: you know, we have our high priest uh, in our heart who dwells in us, and there's no need for us to be uh, taking an oath uh, when when Jesus is within us, and 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 we let our yes be yes and our no be no, and. You know, at the time, the Pharisees were doing all kinds of weird, nutty little things, taking oaths and all kinds of strange oaths. Uh, but here, Nehemiah says that um, made them take an oath. He didn't, he didn't trust them. Uh, and uh, then it says in verse 12, it says, so we will restore it. So they're, you know, they don't want to mess with this guy, Nehemiah. And we'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Uh, then I called the priests and required an oath from them and they would, that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. So be it. Amen. That's what amen means. So be it. 
and they praised the Lord. You know, there is a rejoicing that just comes along with obedience. The Bible says when we repent, uh, repent in, in the book of Acts, times of refreshing come from God. And here they are praising God pe for, for doing the right thing. Then the people did according to this promise. And then it says in verse 14, Moreover, from, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor... So note the use of the word I. This is Nehemiah's personal testimony. In the land of Juna, Judah, for from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provision. So they refused to take any pay. Refused to take any pay. Did they have a right to it? Yes, they did. You know, a good leader in a church is with the sheep as gentle as a lamb. You know, he's, he's, he, he's real stern when there, when there are real sin issues and he confronts them, but he's gentle as a lamb. And this is just showing this guy's heart. Of having out of a concern for the people not taking any, uh, anything from the governor, which he had a right to have, but sort of passing it all to the uh, people in need. He says, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. See, he knew, the, he knew about the... the he had read, he was very familiar with the book of Exodus, book of Leviticus. And you read all those uh, laws in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus about how you're supposed to treat the poor. And at the, at, you know, about every 20 verses, it says, for the Lord God is holy. Ooh, you know, that's like serious stuff. He's like, you know, I, I fear God. I, I, I am not going to be, I'm going to err on the side of helping these people out and taking nothing myself because I fear God. Now, that's a healthy fear of God, a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God, by the way, doesn't take away at all from our love for God. Actually, it makes it uh, more robust, more vibrant, more real. And so uh, he says in verse 17, Verse 16, indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. So he's feeding all these people. This is a big dinner table every night. 150 people? Uh, you know, and, but he was just, he really just had a love for his people. He had a love for the sheep. I just love sort of the connection between the lesson this morning about loving the sheep. And right here, Nehemiah is just loving the people. He's uh, just opening up, uh, his, you know, his, his own table. Awfully long table, man. And uh, 150 uh, people were coming. And, you know, he, this... So this morning I, I was really talking about, you know, you've got to be careful about 
sharing your personal testimony because sometimes because people will be going, wow, you know, you're this incredibly spiritual person. I, I, I'm just amazed. Uh, you know, let me worship you, whatever. You've got to be careful for that. And, and here, though, you see him boldly saying, none of the people did before me. None of the people, governors did this before me, but I did it. Now, that's a dangerous thing for him to be saying because people may be directed off God onto him. But yet, it's so important that we, you know, read an example of this. And so I'm glad that the Spirit led him to share this. It, it's like, you know, giving. Jesus says, let not your right hand and your, know what your left hand uh, is giving. Or is it, don't let your left hand know what your right hand. I forget which one. Greg, I'm looking at you. Uh, he doesn't know. Um, but, 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 but anyway, uh, but yet I, I personally am very encouraged from time to time when I hear a testimony about someone giving sacrificially to the Lord. Because, you know, sometimes Satan gets us in this place, you know, am I the only one doing this? <laughs> and, 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 it, and it's great when a person is led by the Holy Spirit to get up and just share. You know, I give my first fruits uh, to the Lord. And so he's sharing these things, you know, about him. And, but he knows that it's for our encouragement. And it's for us ultimately to worship God, certainly not Nehemiah. And so in verse 18 it says, Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and chick, uh, <laughs> six choice sheep and fowl were uh, prepared for me and once every ten days in abundance of all kinds of wine yet in spite of this I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people remember me my God for good according to all that I have done for this people so you have to be real secure in your relationship with God to say that right it's like when it says in the book of Exodus that uh, it says that Moses was the most humble person who ever lived. And Moses wrote the book of Exodus. And was, you, know, you have to be real humble to be able to say you're the most, uh, and you have to have real humility <laughs> to be able to say that. Some people think that that was um, someone who right, who came in right after uh, Moses Moses died and and, and uh, put that in there. Uh, but uh, needless to say, it's. It's, um, it's wonderful to, to have this example here, uh, to have this example here. Okay. Just one other thing I forgot there in verse 15. It says, in the middle of verse 15, it says, Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so. And so... Such a tendency sometimes in the body of Christ or many other places for a leader, a pastor, elders, whoever, to try to control people. In fact, we have seen right here in Boston a uh, very big-time, powerful movement. When I first got here, it's not as, as um, big of a deal today, but it's still out there. In fact, it's <laughs> in our neighborhood where there have been churches to exercise so much control over people's lives. And there's other, these other movements called like the shepherding movements. Man, you want to buy a car, you got to run it by your elder. You want to get, get married or 
you know, you're basically required to, you know, take it before your elder. You want to um, take a vacation. You got to run it by your pastor. Now, of course, it's a good idea, particularly with that marriage thing, uh, to get counsel from godly men and women. But you know something? You guys have the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, you've just you, you've been given that a, a given him as a, as a privilege, and, and you hear from the Lord. Now, is it is it proper? Is it humble to run certain things by people who are older you in the Lord? Of course it is, and that's why we're here to be available. But there certainly is no requirement. There's absolutely no requirement, and so there's been many ex, ex um, excesses in the body of Christ with leadership, uh, take ruling over the people there, as it says in, in, in verse 15, and just sort of deciding, getting into the intimate details of people's lives. And, you know, the, the best thing that I can do for you all is, uh, and, and as leaders in the church, the elders, and, and, um, and Stephanie, and Amy, and, and uh, Glenda, and the other leaders, uh, uh, the, the, the women, is to put people in God's hands, you know? Let the Holy Spirit grow you up. Let the Holy Spirit do the shepherding. And that's always the most effective way. It's always the long-term, solid way to, to do. And, and, and Nehemiah says, th th even the servants ruled over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. And again, that same thing, man. God is very particular how his sheep are handled. And he doesn't want people uh, exercising in their life what he alone, the authority and the rule that he alone uh, wants to exercise. And so, uh, can't emphasize enough, we are here um, to provide counsel. And I've gone to my pastors. Um, I still go to Pastor Randy down in Rockland. Not infrequently for all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, I know that I have the Holy Spirit. I seek out the Lord. So chapter 6 says, Now it happened when, you guys ready? Sambalat and Tobiah. That's right. Real evil dudes. Just like Jezebel and Ahab. And so we did it with them too. And Haman. We're coming up to Haman. He's one evil dude too. But... Uh, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates. I love that. He doesn't want to lie, so, he, you know, I, I haven't put the doors in, but there's no gaps left in the walls. Verse 2, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Oh, no. But they thought to do me harm. So, you know, so we've been reading about this pair, Sambalad and Tobiah, that names are synonymous sort of uh, in Judaism for, for evil and wickedness. They've been coming against them all along, first mocking them, then threatening them, and, 
and just the whole thing. And so here, and, and by the way, they are a type of Satan. We read in the Old Testament not only pictures of Jesus, but also pictures of how the enemy, Satan, attacks us. And so they've tried some different things. So what do they want to do now? Oh, they want to negotiate. They want to negotiate. And um, so they changed their, their tactics. Verse 3, Nehemiah says, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. And that, by the way, is every single work that the Lord has you in is a great work. doesn't matter if you're raising a child, teaching a Sunday school, starting a church. It's all a great work. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down with you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. And so some people may say, oh, come on, blessed are the peacemakers. Nehemiah, why aren't you going and trying to make peace with these people, <laughs> Sambalat and Tobias. And this, is, and this is where it's so important that spiritual discernment comes in. You know, in 1 um, in, in, in Corinthians, discern, the discernment of spirits is mentioned right along speaking in tongues, teaching, a number of other spiritual gifts that we need. We should be praying for. We should be praying for people to come to this church. We should be praying for that we would receive. Because it's real important because, you know, sometimes God doesn't want us wasting time making peace because it's clear the people who want to make peace don't want to really make peace. They have an ulterior motive, and that is to get, to get us to cease the work, to cease the work. And so, you know, from time to time, you may have someone come knocking on your door on a Saturday morning or whatever, and... You really got to ask yourself, do, am I really supposed to spend two or three hours uh, speaking to this person, ceasing the work that God has me in, in order to talk with them? You know, we tell the, 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 the men and women who go out on Saturday nights witnessing, be careful. It is so easy to get, go off into literally a one, one and a half hour discussion about absolutely nothing. Happens all the time. That's why we, you know, we pray. We pray every Saturday night. Lord, just show us when we're just supposed to move on. Because you know God has someone else for you to talk with, and doesn't want you you to be wasting your time on a Sam Ballad or Tobiah that you know comes um, across your path. So sometimes we're supposed to spend two or three hours speaking with that person who knocks on our door on Saturday morning. But other times, uh, we are not. And he says here, you know, Nehemiah uh, sees it, and he says, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have the work cease uh, uh, because of this. So four times they came back. He said no every time. That's why I just love this guy's resolve. There is a holy stubbornness. There is such a thing as a holy stubbornness, and this is an example of it. Uh, you know, when it comes to sin, we need to be really stubborn. And when it comes to negotiating with the devil, we've got to be stubborn as well. We don't do it. The fifth time, verse 5, 
uh, he uh, Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. You're just doing this to become powerful and famous. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I said to him, saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. And for uh, they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in their work, and it will be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And so Satan tries the negotiation thing, but he's dealing with a very spiritual man. So that doesn't work. So what does he do? Falsely accuses them. Satan, the Bible says, stands before the throne of God night and day accusing uh, the brethren making up lies or saying things that are true, uh, that are, you know, about you. Uh, and God just says, it's the blood of Jesus. Now, they're saved. They're coming to heaven. That man, that woman has a relationship with me, not based upon what they have done or even what they're doing, but because of the death of my son, the blood of Jesus that has covered all sin. And here... What does he say? He says, you're just doing this to rebel and you just want to become king. Now, this is, this, is, this is important for anyone who is interested in any kind of ministry or is in any kind of ministry. Anyone I have ever met has had this exact same lie, which Satan uses to try to dissuade them from, from doing the work that God wants them to do. Practically every person who's ever been in worship um, on the worship team comes out, you know, I just, I'm up there and I just feel like there's pride and I'm up there, you know, and I, uh, part of me likes the attention. Well, no kidding, because <laughs> your heart is desperately wicked and depraved. That's what the Bible says. And so, but you cannot let use that lie, which Satan has used from the time that man fell, uh, to, to prevent you from continuing on doing what the, the, the Lord wants you to do. We're never going to have an absolute 100% pure motive in anything we do, ever, because we're fallen sinners. And just as I was talking about this morning, first qualification for being, uh, doing anything for the Lord, you've got to be called. And when you're called, you don't let any lie of Satan stop you. I'm, just, I'm not being hyper-spiritual here. You have got to continue on and do the work that God has called you to do. And rest assured, <laughs> Satan is going to come. Oh, you're just doing this to become your own little king, you know, and uh, build your little empire. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I, pastors just go through the same thing. And uh, Paul says, cast down every Im imagination that exalts itself against the, the knowledge of God. And, and sometimes we have to do that. When Paul was talking about that, he was talking about casting it down in other people. But we need to do that with our own minds. And we need to, to you know, rebuke the enemy. It, yes, 
Satan, you are right. Uh, my motives are not purely, uh, completely pure, but by the, the, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. And it's on that basis that I'm in ministry. Uh, it's Jesus' righteousness, uh, not my own. He gets us in the area of motive. Sometimes he actually condemns us outwardly. Well, someone will come in and say uh, to us, literally, they'll say, you just want to be important, whatever, whatever. But uh, more often, it's like an inward thing uh, that goes on here. And so Nehemiah's response uh, is, you're wrong. <laughs> and I, the best thing about his response to me is at the end of verse 9, he goes into the prayer closet and says, God, strengthen me. Because, you know, it is scary. These good people say they're, they're going to go tell the king. They are going to go tell the king. And so that's like serious stuff. You get your head chopped off back then for, for, for doing that. And um, here again, he, you know, he, he, he says no. You know, to me, one of the most wonderful examples of holiness is when Jesus is being accused falsely and he's being accused falsely and every he never responds to any accusation against him which was false. Now, he did respond when they basically accused him of something being true, like, is it true that you're the Messiah? Well, he would, ha he would, deni he would deny himself if, if he didn't say anything to that, and, and so he affirmed that. But when he was... Um, but when he was before the chief priest and before uh, he was before Pilate and Herod, they would come against him with all, and, and he just let God be his, um, uh, be his judge. He just understood that, you know, the Lord was going to uphold his reputation. The Lord was going to take care of, of things. And there is one of the most helpless things in the world is when we're being slandered, when someone is saying something false against us. And the tendency is, is to, to take charge of the matter in your own hands, run to people. Did you hear this, what this person said? It's really not true. Did you hear what this person said? It's really not true. And, and, you know, you just exhaust yourself. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't, there are certain facts sometimes we need to clear up, you know. He did. He cleared up the facts. He just said that's very simple. What you're saying is not true. But he doesn't try to call uh, a jury uh, or whatever and, and say, well, let's, let's have a trial and, 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 and try to prove who's right here. He just says no. And he, 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 but then he goes right into the prayer closet here. So, you know, the thing I like about this, this really shows that, you know, this verse 9 he says, for they were trying to make me afraid. Actually, he was afraid. And so that's why at the end of verse 9, uh, he he goes and, and he, he prays to the Lord. Lord, this is, you know, I, I, I don't have any control over this thing. Uh, you're going to have to strengthen me because, quite frankly, uh, this is scary. This is really scary. And so, um, uh, then he goes on in verse 10. It says, afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. 
Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And so here's a completely different tact of, of, of Satan. <laughs> it's funny that, that you know, Satan just keeps on losing with this guy. And each time he comes up with something different. Here, this is a new one. Try to dress up the whole thing in sort of spiritual, with spiritual ornaments and trap them. Try to make the, the, uh, the work of God cease and try to spiritualize the whole thing. So what does he do? He says, uh, this guy comes to him and says, hey, you know, you're right. You know, maybe, you know, you shouldn't go meet these people, uh, but you should come into the temple and hide out there. You can pray and, you know, read the word of God and, and uh, just uh, go into the temple. And so uh, you, this is the, the next thing uh, that, that Satan will do. He'll try to sort of spiritualize stuff. And, you know, what we learn here, sometimes going into the temple can be sin. <laughs> it can be. This is an example. God didn't want him to cease his work. He didn't want him to go and hide in the temple. And he says, he, I like what he says, should, verse 11, should such a man as I flee? Who is he? He's simply a child of God who is held in the palm of God's hand, who's under complete, total protection. And nothing, he's not saying there's anything spiritual about him, but every single man and woman who's in this room who's given their life to Jesus Christ can say the same thing. Should such a man, should, su should, su should such a woman as I, you know, cease the work that God has me in? No, <laughs> unless he specifically told you to. And so this guy came to him as a secret informer, meaning he had been hired by Samballat and Tobias. And, um, and he tr they tried to trick him, verse 12, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that God had, uh, but, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Zimbabwe, had hired him for this reason. So here's the spiritual gift of discernment, so important. What else did we say this morning about the qualifications for person to serve God, you, you need to be have a direct pipeline to the heart of God. Direct pipeline to the heart of God. Because as you have that direct pipeline to the heart of God, you'll walk out of your house and, and run into a Sambalat and a Tobiah, and in your heart, you're like, this guy's a fraud. No one else may know it in the world, but I know it. The Lord has told me. It's a wonderful privilege about being a child of God. He, he speaks to our heart like that. He, as we've talked about this morning, he lays bare his heart to us. And so I perceived that God had not sent him. Uh, verse 13, for this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works and the prophet, prophetess Noadiah. So that's, I guess, the woman's version of Noah or someone, uh, uh, forget it. 
prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. There was a whole bunch of them. There was a whole bunch of people, uh, you know, uh, who had the trappings of spirituality. They were prophets. They were prophetesses coming to them. I prophesy. God told me, you're supposed to stop. And that's, that's a real danger, you know, when people come to us and it looks at least on the outside that they're spiritual people. They may have some authority in the church or, they, or whatever. But no, they're from the devil. It's a scary thing. You know, it would be a scary thing on Judgment Day for someone calling themselves a prophet of God being used by Satan. But uh, that is what is going on here. So we need to learn the tactics of the enemy. And, and that is an yet another good, wonderful thing about the book of Nehemiah. So the wall was finished, verse 15, on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. So less than two months. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this was done by our God. And so I think it's in First Peter where he says that, you know, your, your enemies may curse you, but when they see your good works, they'll know you're from God. They'll know it's God behind you. And verse 17 says, And also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehoahim had married the daughter of Meshalam, the son of Berechiah. And also they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobias, Tobias sent letters to frighten me. He was doing everything that he could. Now notice how some Jews, some nobles in the land were exchanging letters with this Tobiah guy. Uh, and, you know, what does this tell you? He, the, it, this was that intermarriage thing, this intermarriage problem where some of the Jews had improperly intermarried with pagan women who believed in foreign gods and drew them into foreign, uh, to, to, to idolatry. And uh, this, this, this had happened uh, to them. And uh, so, you know, Satan yet another way to uh, try to undermine the work of God is to, you know, to sort of intermingle, having them become unequal yoke uh, doesn't work here. And so, uh, verse, uh, rather, um, chapter 7. It says, and then it was when the wall was built, I had hung the doors when the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, uh, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. And so they sealed up 
So the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your life. He wants to restore your walls. He wants to rebuild your walls. He wants to uh, give you spiritual grit. That's what he wants to do, a spiritual toughness uh, in your life. That's um, a term used by Oswald Chambers that I really, really like. Spiritual grit, that toughness that the Lord wants. And that's just, you know, speaking about the walls, the spiritual walls that... Um, that the Lord just wants to build in our lives. And here in Nehemiah, his word uh, means helper, um, comforter rather, and uh, uh, the same name um, that is given to the Holy Spirit in, in the New Testament. And, and uh, he's rebuilt the walls here, and now the people can worship in the temple without fear of being uh, attacked, and they can have a real worship experience with the Lord. So that's just a wonderful picture there. And then he says, verse 4, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they may be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. And so then he just um, goes through uh, for the rest of the chapter, and, and this is um, a genealogy of those who were living in Jerusalem. Let's take a vote. Anyone want to read this? Oh, come on. I know. You see? You're not. Are you guys telling the truth? I'm just kidding. I, 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 I had already done the vote in my heart before I started. I'm sorry. That was wrong. But uh, we're not going to go through it. But um, because I don't want everyone, you know, going after Casey and Sam after. Uh, I really care about those two sheep, those two rebellious sheep. But anyway, uh, but, um, you know, God's into this. God's, uh, you know, the Lamb's Book of Life, that uh, every person who is, is saved is, is written there. That's a, that's a genealogy. And there's a wonderful thing um, about the Word of God. It's, it's a real record of actual things that have taken place in history. It's a historical document. And it, it, as well as many other things. And that is just one of the things that makes this such a genuine uh, article of faith that we have here. And so uh, the Lord just rec records these people uh, here. And what time is it? Why is that? 8.06, okay, 8.08, 8.08, okay, so actually, I, um, it's kind of funny because in the next chapter, Ezra has a six-hour sermon, but lest I do the same thing uh, this evening, uh, he does, it's six hours, you guys, you complain about me, Ezra, it's a, a six-hour sermon you're going to talk about, it's going to take me six hours to go over it next Sunday night, but uh, not really. But we, we will stop there now. If um, uh, you would like to return for prayer, we are going to be praying in 15, about 15 minutes. Oh, man, how is it that Sue gave, and I can lose things within like two minutes. Did anyone have the prayer, prayer paper, Greg? Greg?